Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of my podcast. I think it's been a while since I posted the last one, but finally got some motivation today. I did a sim lab at work, and one of the scenarios was a patient who came in with a type A dissection, or you might know it as a type A um, aortic aneurysm. So I just kind of wanted to um, go back and review aortic aneurysms or you might know them as aortic dissections um we do get a couple of them at my hospital just because um we are i guess our hospital specialty is hospital our hospital specialty is hospital our hospital specialty is um vascular surgery so i wanted to go back and review for my sake, you know, just so I can, like, cement the information. And also I thought, I think other people would also enjoy just me reviewing um, the disease and processes and, like, things to consider nursing-wise. I mean, the review of information can also be helpful to other people who aren't in nursing, like, who might be um, not really physicians, because it's not as detailed as, like, what sort of algorithm the physicians might go through in terms of how they view it. But it's still information about the disease that could help people more than nursing. So if you're a nursing student, if you're a nurse, or you're just really interested in learning about um, health topics or diseases, um, welcome. So I will start with basically a general overview. So an aortic aneurysm, I guess I'll go by aneurysm, but I also mean dissection because either or can be used. So the overview is it is an abnormal widening of the, or can be an abnormal widening of the ascending, the transverse, or the descending part of the aorta. And it's usually um, when there's a dilation of more than 50% of the aorta's normal diameter in a given uh, segment. So the forms that it can be, it can basically, um, I guess, malform in the fact that it's like a pouch. So it can be a saccular outpouching um, dissection, or it can be a fusiform spindle-shaped like dissection. Um, it's really helpful to look at an image for the way that the dissection occurs to kind of visualize what is happening in the vessel and where the blood flow is being redirected. So it's usually classified based on its location, the extent of the aortic involvement, and rather the aneurysm is saccular, so it's like a little tiny pouch. So you have like a line and then a pouch, like an outward um, bump, which is called saccular dissection, or it can be a fusiform, which is like, it's almost like just a widening throughout of a certain length of the aorta so it's not like a distinct um malformation i guess of the regular shape of the aorta like the little pouching is and so you can have it occur in an ascending aorta this is the most common you can have it in the descending aorta and you can also have an aortic arch um aneurysm and then you can also have a thora abdominal aneurysm. So it's basically where it branches off of the inferior aorta down to the thoracic, the chest region. 
so that part of the ascending or the descending aorta can have um, an aneurysm. So this is life-threatening if it ruptures because your aorta is a huge vessel and that's a lot of blood that's going to be lost from the vascular system. The heart cannot, um, it cannot maintain its function to deliver blood flow to the rest of the body if there's a huge hole in the hose. It's like basically, um, you have a hose, it's nice and pressurized and the water comes out at the end nice and like pressurized and has a good flow. And now all of a sudden, let's say um, there's a bigger part of that hose and you cut it. Well, obviously the water is just going to pour out and now the heart can't do what it needs to do and the patient will bleed out and die. And usually it's a, like a very dire emergency uh, surgery and it's hard to kind of bring somebody back from that. It's not that it's impossible. It's just that it's a very um, tough situation if that vessel ruptures and all that blood leaves the um, cardiovascular system. And therefore, the patient has like very little circulating blood that's actually oxygenating the rest of the body. And you can't replace it as fast as it's like leaving the system, essentially, because it's just... This big hose now it's pouring out into any other orifice of the body but the vascular um but the vascular system. Um so the physiological or the pathophysiology is you might get changes in the collagen and the elastin of the aortal aortal of the arterial wall, which lead to weakening and eventually a dilation of the wall, which then can lead to that dissection, or we refer to it as an aneurysm. So an aneurysm usually um, com commonly results from a degeneration of the media of the aortic wall. You can get a circumferential or a transverse tear, which occurs in the aorta wall intima. And then usually within the medial layer of the aorta, the blood will kind of start moving alongside there. Instead of like the actual true lumen, it will move through a false lumen of the aorta. So it's not really like inside the vessel. It's like inside the layers of the vessel, if that makes sense. And then patients can get a hematoma from this because blood is more likely... Um, it's kind of like, it's not out of the hose, it's like in between the hose now, like in between the layers of the hose. So that's not a normal structure for the blood flow to be going, so they're more at risk for actually forming blood clots. And those blood clots can be dislodged into other parts of the body, so they can get like a PE, they can get a stroke from it, or any, they can even get like a cardiac arrest, because like then that um, clot travels and finds like a small vessel and then gets stuck and then it causes... Um, blood flow to cease and ischemia to happen and then damage can start happening from that so causes atherosclerosis is a, um, a major factor um, bacterial infections can be a cause usually at the atherosclerotic plague um, that puts patient at risk for the bacterial infection and then also puts them at risk for an aortic dissection blunt chest trauma can be a cause of aortic dissection um, coarctation of the uh, aorta. Uh, Marfan syndrome is a cause. If a patient has Marfan syndrome, they're more at risk for it just because of the way that the um, 
tissues of the bodies aren't as strong as they are with someone who doesn't have Marfan syndrome and it puts them more at risk for like weakening of those tissues and then possibly a dissection. Also, rheumatic vasculitis, just kind of like inflammation in the vessels, can put them more at risk for um, a tear happening in the inner um, lining of the vessel and then potentially um, blood going in between the layers of the aorta causing that dissection. I guess I'm going to start going by dissection because in the beginning I said I was going to go by aneurysm, but my brain wants to say dissection. And then also syphilis infection can be um, a cause of the aortic dissection. And then if they have congenital abnormalities, that can also um, be a cause of aortic dissection. So risk factors that the patient may have could be um, smoking cigarettes, hypertension, if they're an older age, um, if they have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, that can put them at risk. If they're a male, male. If they are a male gender, they can put them at risk. Um, if they have a high body mass index, they can put them at risk. And also, genetic disorders can also put them at risk. And then, of course, um, complications of an aortic dissection can be aortic valve insufficiency. Um, they can get like an endo leaks and stent um, fractures with endovascular stenting. They can get cardiac tamponade. That's where like fluid, in this case blood, collects around that um, layer that surrounds the heart itself that protects it. It can collect there and cause a cardiac tamponade, which means it, the more um, fluid that collects in that um, protective layer of the heart, the less the heart has the ability to fully expand and contract and give a good squeeze. So the more fluid you have in between those layers that collect and get bigger, the less room the heart itself has to move and actually give us a nice full cardiac cycle, which means reduced cardiac output, which means complications. Um, also, rupture is a big risk of, a um, of an aortic dissection. And then, of course, a complication is having more dissection from that dissection forming. So it could um, grow in size. And then um, they can get, basically, um, they can hemorrhage, which means they could bleed out if they rupture. Um, heart failure is a risk or is a complication. Kidney dysfunction is a complication just because even though blood might be going through that false lumen, it might not have enough blood flow that actually get to the kidneys themselves like the normal blood flow that they are used to and now there's this two different streams of I guess you could, if you can imagine like a river versus an ocean like if you're used like the ocean is like the normal um, blood flow and then all of a sudden you get this skinny ass um, river flow it might still be perfusing the kidneys but it's not an adequate amount of perfusion that they actually start to have pre-renal injury and that affects kidney function because they're not used to getting the normal blood flow that they're used to getting to filter and then like I said before a stroke is a risk factor because they're at risk of forming clots and then those clots dislodge and travel um, throughout the body and cause 
issues. Um, they could get um, paraplegia. So in this case, it's more like the aorta supplies blood to the spine and either the um, spinal vessel is being compressed by that growing dissection of the vessel and occluding like adequate blood flow to the spine where then they can have um, spinal ischemia which then is damaged to the spine which then leads to um, motor function and other things like that or it gets to the point where the vessel that actually um, feeds the spine does not get adequate blood flow um, and then that leads to obviously um, cell injury and cell death in the spine which then could lead to other um, spinal complications and of course the biggest complication of all is death so um, for assessment their history sometimes they may not have any signs and symptoms until the aneurysm expands and it begins to dissect and then um, other things to look for is a history of hypertension and they might get like sudden pain they can get anterior pain with ascending aortic dissection. Um, they can get back pain localized between your scapulas or your shoulder blades with descending aortic aneurysm. And then possibly they could get syncope, like um, fainting spells. Um, yeah, so they can get a fainting spell, which might indicate um, impending rupture or dissection. Or they could get chronic pain due to compression and distension um, just due to those vessels not having their regular vasculature. Um, what else? What else? They could also get dysphagia due to esophageal compression from that expansion of the vessel. So physical findings that you might see when you're assessing the patient, um, they could have, they could be pallor, like really pale. They could be having some diaphoresis or diaphoretic, so they're like excessively sweating. They could have dysmia, like shortness of breath. They feel like they can't catch breath. Um, and then they can get cyanosis, so they're not oxygenating. Um, so they'll get like um, blue lips, blue, like you're looking peripherally to see if there's any cyanosis, like. Um, yeah, mostly it's like the central cyanosis of just like their lips turning like a um, pale bluish color, which means they're not getting enough oxygen circulating through their body. They might have some wheezing or a cough, suggesting that the trachea might be compressed. They might have some um, leg weakness, suggesting that that spinal cord is being affected, the blood flow to the spine is being affected. Um, what else? And they might have transient paralysis, like I said, the complication of your spine not getting blood flow and possibly those cells dying is paralysis. Transient means it's like, um, it's not permanent, like it might go away as um, things get resolved, but obviously it can also have permanent damage um, if it's prolonged and not identified um, in a timely manner. They also might get abrupt onset of transient neurologic deficits. So you want to make sure you're um, assessing their level of consciousness. They might get abrupt loss of radial or femoral pulses. Right and left um, carotid pulses might um, abruptly be lost, like you can't palpate them. And then, of course, they might get an increasing area of flatness over the heart, suggesting cardiac tamponade, like I explained earlier. 
Um, and then they might get some hemopericardium, which is like basically blood collecting in those um, protective layers of the heart. So with um, dissecting ascending aorta aneurysm, which would be part of the classified as type A dissection because there's type A and type B, um, basically type A is anything on the arch of the ascending aorta so like that first portion that just exits the heart before it like um turns downwards into the chest area that's mainly a type a dissection so they might have pain with a tearing or a ripping sensation in their thorax or in the right anterior chest area that might extend to the neck shoulders and lower back and they might get ab also abdominal pain the pain is most intense at onset and then diastolic murmur of aortic insufficiency they might have a um, pericardial friction rub this is if um, blood is collecting in between those um, layers of the heart um, so basically they could have a normal or a significantly elevated blood pressure, like blood pressure in the 190s, 200s. Um, so you want to make sure that you're measuring, um, blood pressures from both arms. So you could, um, evaluate the difference if there is a difference between the both arms, just to kind of help you, um, determine if it's a type A or type B. Because type A, I've learned today, will have a difference in, um, blood pressure from the right to the left arm so there will be a difference and um, you will be treating the arm with the highest blood pressure and that's the blood pressure you're going to treat to try to lower that blood pressure and possibly prevent complications like a rupture or a progression of the dissection um, so with a dissecting aortic arch aneurysm like I said sharp boring tearing pain that radiates to the shoulders hoarseness dysmia um, shortness of breath, uh, throat pain, dysphagia, so they might have trouble all of a sudden swallowing, and they might have a dry cough. And then with a dissecting, uh, descending aortic aneurysm or a type B aneurysm, uh, you might get sharp tearing pain located between the shoulder blades, it usually radiates to the chest. You can get um, so carotid, carotid Radial pulses are present and they're equal on both sides. Um, this is another difference I learned today is that in type A or the ascending um, aortic arch, you might have a difference in the pulses between the right side of the body and the left side of the body. Whereas in type B, which is like the, the part of the aorta that turns downward all the way down to your abdominal cavity, um, you will have a equal, equal pulses throughout. Like you won't get a difference in between. Usually the blood pressure is equal between the two. And then th this I learned is another thing to kind of help you tune in to which type of dissection the patient might be having before they kind of go for the confirming diagno diagnostics. Um, and then they might have possible bilateral crackles or um, wheeze, or not wheeze, wheezes, uh, ronchi if pulmonary edema is present. So with a ruptured aneurysm, these are the symptoms to look out for. Hypotension, all of a sudden they lose blood pressure. Tachycardia, all of a sudden their heart rate jumps up to compensate for the loss of 
um, pressure in the system or loss of blood flow in the system. So the heart will try to beat faster to try to increase blood pressure. But we all know that if it ruptures, there's only so much the heart can do before the patient crashes and burns. And of course, signs of shock. And of course, cardiac arrest. You're losing too much blood very profusely with a rupture of a dissection slash aneurysm. So, di diagnostic testing that you might do. So, you might do for laboratory. Um, leaking aneurysm will cause normal or decrease hemoglobin levels due to blood loss. Um, imaging, obviously, you want to get a nice chest x-ray, which can show the widening of the aorta and the mid uh, mediastinum possible left pleural effusion and irregular aorta aortic contour and rightward displacement of the trachea so chest x-ray will help us determine that um, you can also get an aortography which shows the aneurysm's lumen size location and altered um, blood flow patterns and of course you can always get an MRI um, you can also get a CT this helps confirm and locate the presence of an aortic dissection and then you can get a transthoracic or transesophageal echocardiogram. So like an echo, this helps differentiate aneurysm um, and rule out valvular, um, valvular problems. So then also um, you can get a carotid ultrasound. This helps determine carotid disease. And then other procedures, you can get an electrocardiogram. This helps to rule out myocardial infarction and may show ischemia or nonspecific ST segment and T-wave changes. So, general treatment. If rupture or dissection occurs, um, resuscitation efforts such as fluid administration, airway, maintaining their airway, ventilating them, intubating them, cardiac monitoring of the patient, if possible, immediate surgery, like you'd have to get surgery to come see them stat and like get them into the OR as soon as they can if a um, rupture occurs. And then these are things just down the line, weight reduction if um, that's what's needed in the patient's clinical presentation, smoking cessation, um, strict blood pressure management will be important. Also, um, DVT prophylaxis as they're hospitalized. And then diet, of course, nothing by mouth until surgery has seen them and prepped them, sorted things out. Um, of course, no restrictions unless surgery is performed, but you don't want them to do anything strenuous that might kind of propel things along. Um, and then after they have surgery, progressive activity as they go about their recovery and physio will work with them more and more um medications that can be used beta blockers esmolol um libetalol metoprolol propanolol in acute cases iv um, beta blockers to achieve a heart rate of at least 60 beat per minute and to help control hypertension Antihypertensives used in acute cases to maintain systolic blood pressure um, between 100 and 120 or the lowest tolerated systolic pressure. You might also use negative inotrope agents. Um, you can also use analgesics for pain because they will probably be in a lot 
of pain and discomfort. Um, what else? What else? What else? IV fluids and blood transfusions if needed. And then for surgery, for unruptured aneurysms, repair is recommended for any symptomatic or rapidly expanding aneurysm or dissection. And if the ascending type is 5 centimeter or larger, and for the descending type, 6 centimeters or larger for patients without familiar disorders, um, surgical resection, and decron, or a teflon um, graft placement required for the rapidly growing dissecting or ruptured area with or without replacement of the aortic valve, depending on um, evidence of damage to the valve. So they could also get endovascular stenting, um, fenestration, or a stent grafting during surgery. All right, let me just have a drink of my lemon water, because obviously my voice is trying to leave me. Um, let's see, let's see. Nursing interventions. In a non-emergent situation, um, allow the patient to express their fears and concerns and to identify and obviously use, try to use some um, coping skills that the patient can use to kind of um, get through the situation because it can be very stressful for you, for the patient, and for their family. Um, offer the patient and family emotional support. You know, offer as much as you can. Like, don't fake it. Obviously, not everybody um, can show up every day to, like, emotionally support their patient. Because, girl, some days we are going through it and we need emotional support ourselves. But all I can say is do do what you are capable of in your current state and, you know, where, you, where you're at in your day. Just do, do what you can for your patient and your family. Um, theoretically, it's always nice to give families like your full their full emotional support and all that but I know being on the clinical floor it's sometimes you're having a day yourself um screen for and assess the patient's pain using obviously the pain scale that you use at your hospital or facility treat the patient's pain as needed and um if it's not effective, obviously report back to the doctor and try to see if there's anything else they can add to the regimen to help the patient. Monitor patient closely if patient is at high risk for adverse outcomes. Um, I think this is in terms of like opioid treatment. So if your patient has um, risk of com no, not complications, um, you know, there's patients out there who have not tolerance but substance um what's the word I'm saying? substance abuse issues so just be mindful when you're giving people pain medication and educating them about what what it is for how it affects them what they should expect and like a realistic outcome for that medication cuz it's not going to give you zero pain would be lovely, but it will reduce your pain to some effect. So kind of gauging what their realistic outcome is, because otherwise they'll just keep asking for more and say it's not working. So just make sure you guys are on the same page about the treatment. Um, prepare the patient and the family for possible surgery if the condition is acute, including what to expect postoperatively, such as... Um, what unit they might be on, what they should expect the team to be doing, how often um, they'll be checked on, and what sorts of 
things in general procedures are going to be performed post-surgery. Um, obviously, for patients in these very acute stage of it, um, anticipate the need for possibly being intubated, intubated um, for basically maintaining airway and also hemodynamic monitoring for emergent situations because they can flip into a dire situation very quickly. If the aneurysm is dissecting or ruptures, um, insert obviously you should have like an IV access as soon as you receive these sort of patients just because you know or of any patient but particularly these patients because they are very very delicate and it's 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 a dire situation out here you don't want them without IV access and then shit hits the fan and then of course you're going to be getting your lab kind of um, looking at their lab results what's going on trend their labs how's it going things getting better things get worse the whole shebang, um, and then of course maintaining um, their airway, making sure if they need oxygen that they have uh, oxygen being administered. Um, what else? Give um, medications as prescribed. Monitoring their fluid um, balance and fluid therapy. If they need blood products, or so you're monitoring their hemoglobin through their labs, and other any other um, agents that they might need to maintain their hemodynamic um, stability. And then, of course, explain all treatments and activities to the patient and family as you're providing it. After um, a patient has gone through an aneurysm or a dissection repair, you're assessing hemodynamic statics very closely. Um, continuous cardiac monitoring. Usually, these patients will be in critical care afterwards. Um, hemodynamic monitoring, as indicated, after ascending aortic dissection repair, monitor for signs of coronary ischemia. So you want to make sure that heart's getting a good blood flow and that it's not having lack of blood flow because that could lead to problems for the heart. You're evaluating their chest tube function. Note the amount and characteristics of drainage if they have a chest tube in place. Evaluate hourly um, urine output. And then also make sure you're obtaining their daily weight. Check their skin turgor, um, how their skin's looking, if there's any deterioration in the skin, looking at their mucous membranes for signs and symptoms of dehydration. Of course, giving IV fluids as appropriate, medications as ordered, maintaining that IV patency, making sure all your IVs are working and functioning and, you know, they're not like hanging on by a thread and about to fall off. You know, sometimes, some days you get one of those. Um, inspect the surgical site dressing, um, incisional area for signs and symptoms of infection. After an endovascular repair, inspect the groin area for signs and symptoms of infection, hematoma formation, um, perform surgical site care according to your facility guidelines, check peripheral neurovascular status, monitor for neurological status, and then for signs of paraplegia, paraparesis after an arch. Um, descending and thoro-abdominal aortic aneurysm slash dissection repair. Apply, of course, if they do SCDs, apply their anti-embolic stockings or SCDs. Oscitate, obviously, you're going to be doing your head-to-toes and you're going to be listening to their heart sounds, your lung sounds, their um, ab- abdominal sounds, their bowel sounds, the whole shebang, your whole head-to-toe. you got to get it all in. Uh, maintain blood pressure in the prescribed range using fluids and prescribed medications to kind of keep them within that safe range, prevent complications from happening. 
assess the patient um, pain and give medication as prescribed. And then obviously making sure that their vitals are stabilized, encouraging the patient to kind of turn themselves every two hours if they're able. And if they're not, then you'll be doing their turning so that they're, um, they don't get pressure bed sores or pressure ulcers. Um, encouraging them to do some deep cough, or deep cough, deep breathing and some nice coughs so that they're, they don't get pneumonia and the lungs are not stationary and they don't get complications from being stationary. Um, what else, what else, what else? What else can I tell you? Of course, you always want to ambulate and mobilize your patients as soon as possible. Sometimes it's not possible due to pain, due to the patient not feeling well, but just encouraging, encouraging, and advocating to your patient, for your patient, for them to get moving as soon as they're able and as soon as they can, because it will speed up their recovery. Monitoring, vital signs, hemodynamics, chest tube drainage if they have chest tube, heart and lung sounds. Lab results, um, distal pulses, level of consciousness, pain level and pain management, effectiveness, signs of infection, IV therapy, in and, in and out. Um, surgical site, skin integrity, of course, depression and anxiety. And that is it for aortic dissection slash aortic aneurysms. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it was very educational um, sim lab that I had today, so just wanted to kind of go back and look at it again, cement it in my brain, and hopefully you guys find it helpful. So, all right. We'll see you on the next one.